Section six of The Luck of the Dudley Grams by Alice Calhoun Haynes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Colleen McMahon. Monday, December twenty second. All last night the wind whistled and howled about the house. This morning we woke to a snowstorm of almost blizzard proportions, and oh, but the atmosphere was arctic. You get up first says Ernie, poking her little pink nose above the bed covers. Indeed, I'll do nothing of the sort, I answered. It's your turn. I thought you loved me, Elizabeth, wailed Ernestine reproachfully. So I do, I answered, and hopped heroically forth to the glacial matting. Ernie followed with hysterical giggles, and I can tell you it did not take us long to dress. Fortunately, Miss Brown had gone to spend Sunday with a niece in Flatbush, so we did not have her to worry about. Mother made the nursery as comfortable as possible, at the sacrifice of heavy inroads upon our precious stock of coal, and there Hayes, Ernie, Robin, and I passed the morning, for Hayes was taken ill Sunday night with a sharp attack of laryngitis, and was still unfit for the office, and we did not think it wise for Ernie to attempt to make her way to school through the snowdrifts. But, though it is not often now that we have a chance of a day together, it was not especially jolly. Poor Hazy squatted on the register, very hoarse and gloomy, pegging away at his eternal Caesar. I darned stockings and understood just how it was that Rose had used to be cross on a stormy Monday, while Ernie, hid in a corner behind a series of screens that she had contrived, sang carols and asked ridiculous riddles, busy as she declared upon a secret. As for Robin, he sat in his shabby little grey flannel dressing gown, propped up with pillows in the middle of Mother's big bed, talking about Santa Claus and the things he wanted for Christmas. I've been good for three weeks, he boasted vaingloriously. I've taken my cod liver oil, haven't I, Elizabeth? And I finished the first reader and learned to spell squirrel. Hope old Santa knows about it, because I want a lot of things. Why don't you write a letter and tell him what you want, suggested Ernie, whereat Hazard scowled at her over his Caesar, and I shook my head warningly, but it was already too late. Robin caught gleefully at the suggestion. I will, he piped. Bring me some paper and a pencil, Elizabeth. Hurry up now, honey, for Bobsy dearly loves to write letters, and the fact that no one can read them but himself does not dampen his enthusiasm in the least. What is the difference, sang out Ernie blithely, while I searched Mother's desk for a half-sheet of notepaper, between a horse and an egg? There's no difference between you and a donkey, growled Hazard. Well, I like that retorted Ernestine, while Robin, after a vigorous suck at the stump of pencil I had handed him, began unctuously upon his letter. "'Dear Santa Claus,' he muttered, "'I want the Mowgli books?' "'Jungle books,' corrected Ernie. "'And a horse, just like Georgie's,' continued Robin with a flourish. "'Why not a little white cuddly flannel rabbit with pink eyes?' suggested Ernestine. "'You could take that to bed with you, you know, Robin, and the horse would have to sleep in a stall in the closet.' which wouldn't be nearly so convenient. Yes, a little white flannel rabbit with pink eyes, corrected Robin obligingly, and a steamboat what can whistle, and a box of building blocks, and... But here Hayes slammed to his book. Shut up, Bobs, he commanded roughly. What's the good? There isn't any Santa Claus, and you might just as well know it now as... But there he stopped, for Robin was staring at him, with such round, frightened eyes that Ernie and I cried out together, Oh, Hazard, how can you? You ought to be ashamed. Hayes opened his book again. 
I don't care, he muttered. There isn't any use in his running on like that. He isn't going to get anything. We all know it, and... But Bobsy cried, I will, too. I've taken my cod liver oil, I tell you. And Ernie, running to his side, flung her arms protectingly about him. Of course you have, honey, she crooned. And of course you'll get some presents. Hazard's only teasing. The idea of there not being any Santa Claus. Who gave you your things last year, I'd like to know. Robin's chin was beginning to quiver, and two great teardrops blinked on the ends of his long lashes. He held his arms tight about Ernie's neck and cuddled up against her side. Hayes looked at them a moment, threw his book aside, and strode from the room, I following. Hazard, I began, as soon as the door had shut upon us. It was cruel. How could you do such a thing? Don't bother, answered Hayes gruffly. I didn't intend to say it that way, but... Robin isn't going to get anything. I couldn't bear to have him go on like that and know it was all my fault and ugh, let me alone, Elizabeth. And shaking my hand from his arm, he turned and bolted upstairs, where I heard the workshop door slam to behind him. Naturally, if the rest of the house is cold, you can imagine what it must be in the workshop. I was very much afraid that Hazard would add to his sore throat, but I knew it would do no good to speak to him just then. So I returned to the nursery, where Ernie was still sitting on the side of the bed, her arms close about Robin, whispering to him in the most seductive of tones. Yes, he looked just like the pictures, Bobsy, she was saying. It was in front of Macy's that we met, and I think he must have been looking about at the toys. I was very much surprised, of course, but I went right up to him and said, How do you do, Mr. Santa Claus? I'm Robin Graham's sister. Did you, Ernie? cried Robin, with shining eyes. And what did he say? I can't tell you that, returned Ernie mysteriously, because it is a secret. But don't you worry, honey. Everything is going to be all right. Here I thought it was time to interfere, for though Hazard had been hasty and even unkind in the way he spoke, still we all knew that Robin was not going to get anything for Christmas. So what was the use of comforting him with false hopes that could only lead to still more bitter disappointment? Run down and set the table, Ernie, I said a little dryly. It's time for Robin to have his reading lesson now. Bobsy looked at me half shyly under his dark lashes. I have a secret, he said, and gave Ernie a long kiss before he let her go. After luncheon, while we were washing the dishes, I asked Ernestine what she meant by talking to Robin so. There is no good in deceiving him, I said. Of course, Hazard did not set about it in the right way, but sooner or later he will have to be told he isn't going to get anything. You heard what Mother said. Ernie looked at me in blank amazement. Why, Elizabeth, she cried. Ernestine, I returned, remember, you are nearly thirteen years old. Do you believe in Santa Claus, too? Ernie laughed and flapped her dish towel. Of course I do, she answered, after my own fashion. You and Hazard are too silly. Mother didn't mean, I suppose, that she was going to take away all the presents that come to the house for Robin and burn them. She only meant that we couldn't spend any money. What's to prevent Aunt Adelaide from giving him something as she always does, I'd like to know? And Georgie? And Jeff? Here Ernie began to two-step to the cupboard with a pile of plates. Oh, Elizabeth, she chortled, he says I can help choose em. Robin will be simply delighted. He's never had anything so stunning in all his life. But there, Ernie rattled the plates perilously down on the cupboard shelf. It is a secret. I promised I wouldn't breathe a word. And I know another that Miss Brown told me, and another with Mrs. Burroughs. Hazard is a grumpy goose. 
why can't he think of something to give bobsey the way i'm doing it needn't cost you know instead of being so huffy and remorseful about a past that can't be helped now wasn't that exactly like ernie christmas is her birthday and she seems to have the very spirit in her veins if we were wrecked upon a desert island i believe she would still find some appropriate way to celebrate so that is what you were busy about behind your screen i cried of course says ernie what did you think you must make something too elizabeth and i know mother will and the letter was just a blind to get robin to believe he wanted the things we can afford to give him i thought you and hazard would understand and even if we are poor so long as we love one another and keep jolly what's the odds ernie i answered you are a darling there aren't any so then we sought an interview with hazard to explain how matters stood all right he answered none too enthusiastic just at first i'll try but it's different with you girls i can't make anything you see little folder rolls out of sawdust and gold paper and everything i've saved must go for car fare and expenses these next few weeks honestly i haven't a cent to call my own except my lucky penny of eighteen sixty five the year lincoln was shot and perhaps i've lost that he searched his pockets no here it is hand it over says ernie i know you'll think the best luck you can possibly have just now is to buy a nice christmas present for robin i'll do your shopping this year hazy and i'll promise to get something bobs will really like too cheer up children no santa claus indeed i'm ashamed of you friday december twenty sixth christmas has come and gone and in spite of our gloomy expectations we have had the jolliest time you would hardly believe it oh there were plenty of roses the first nice thing that happened was on tuesday morning when mother received a letter from miss brown stating that she had been asked to stay over the holidays with her niece in flatbush hurrah hurrah caroled ernie shout the glad tidings exultantly sing jerusalem triumphs messiah is king she did not mean anything the least irreligious it was simply a spontaneous outburst of joy and at the same instant a mad enthusiasm seemed to seize hold of us all let's finish the breakfast dishes at once elizabeth said mother i have some sewing upstairs that i must attend to and there's something i must finish too answered i how considerate of miss brown's niece just think our christmas dinner alone have you decided how you are going to spend my lucky penny shouted hazard from the hall above you understand ernie i want it to go as far as possible yes yes answered ernie i've a grand idea don't you worry hazard jeff and i are going shopping this afternoon after school and so they did and so did mother and so did i it was really amusing nobody could be prevailed upon to tell what had been bought except that it was very cheap dear don't worry then in the evening ernie and i made old-fashioned molasses candy because it is less expensive than fudge and we had determined to pull it and twist it into original shapes something individual for each one for robin we made a little yellow bird i must confess it looked more like a chicken than anything else a boy with a big hat and a crooked nose and a pig with a curly tail hazard's candy we put peanuts in and did not pull because he prefers it that way mothers we tied into a variety of charming bow knots and ernie made me a mandolin and jeff a hockey stick while i made ernie a santa claus he was a little wobbly in the legs to be sure but anyone could recognize him from his pack in the middle of it all mrs burroughs came over full of her own plans i do hope you won't say no mrs graham she pleaded i haven't had any christmas fun for ages it seems that she wished to give a party for robin 
i will have it wednesday night christmas eve she explained so it needn't interfere with your family celebration in the least may i please why it would be lovely we all answered with enthusiasm and mrs burroughs flushed a beautiful rose color and for a moment the quick tears stood in her eyes thank you so much she answered then that's settled you see francis and i used to have such good times and just the last year i got him a magic lantern it is really a very nice one and there are some charming slides the night before christmas is the set francis liked best especially the pictures of the reindeer i thought we might give it for robin and perhaps you will lend your back parlor for the occasion we can begin early say half past seven i wonder if hazard will consent to act as manager you'd better choose jeff warned ernie he's cleverer at that sort of thing and i'm sure he'd like to come so the matter was arranged the following afternoon to the intense excitement of robin mrs burroughs jeff and ernie shut themselves up in the back parlor from whence began to issue the sound of much laughter and hammering despite his impatience it was not till quarter to seven o'clock that the doors were finally thrown open and robin was carried down how charming everything looked to be sure long loops of ground pine were festooned about the chandelier and along the picture rail a great artificial christmas bell hung in the doorway from either side of which dropped gay streamers of baby ribbon strung with sleigh bells that jingled and sang in the merriest fashion at the touch of a passing hand in the window were holly wreaths and back of the madonna over the chimney-piece were two more great branches of holly with the biggest brightest berries i have ever seen a red christmas candle burned upon the piano the old lounge covered with a tiger rug lent by mrs burroughs had been pushed out into the middle of the room and a series of orchestra chairs arranged about it between the folding doors the magic sheet was hung and behind it could be heard the voices of jeff and ernie in animated discussion presently the guests began to arrive georgie and his nurse robin's chum john who had been looked up especially for the occasion because as bobs persuasively explained it would be pretty odd for a boy to give a party and not ask his own chum old mrs endicott who is mrs burroughs aunt and rosebud very gay and debonair in a becoming red ribbon bow the audience is ready sang out robin from his lair on the tiger skin what makes the party so late i'd like to know it isn't late at all returned mrs burroughs from behind the curtain the idea we said half past seven o'clock and it is only quarter after you are early that's all however in another moment jeff appeared to turn down the lights with a deep expectant sigh from robin georgie and john the party had begun the pictures were certainly charming and geoffrey managed the slides without a hitch first came the night before christmas santa claus starting out on his journey with a sleigh overladen with toys how lifelike the reindeer looked to be sure and how impatient to be off they can go i bet you shouted georgie once santa takes up the lines next followed a scene among the rooftops a great round moon overhead and santa claus already disappearing down the chimney this can be your house john says robin magnanimously perhaps he's going to leave that tin trumpet i don't want it neither do i answered john i'd rather have a real automobile but already the scene had shifted santa claus upon the hearthrug was filling stockings with a roguish glance at three little heads buried among the pillows of a great four-poster bed how the children laughed and applauded next came the stories of cinderella puss in boots and hop o my thumb which were an almost equal success and finally when the last slide was exhausted the lights were turned up and what georgie called the real party was brought in 
This consisted of ice cream served in pretty colored forms of fruit and flowers, lady fingers, dishes of sugar plums, and a mild brew of cocoa. The favors were mechanical toys, such as are sold in quantities along Broadway and 23rd Street at this season of the year, something amusing or interesting for each one. Georgie had a monkey that ran up a stick, Robin a small toy balloon in the shape of a pink rubber pig that squealed shrilly when blown up, Jeff a rooster that could flap its wings and crow, and Ernie a little old woman with a rake and watering pot, who, after being properly wound up, would start conscientiously forth to sprinkle her garden, only to trip at the first obstruction she met and lie kicking her heels frantically on the carpet. "'Oh, it has been a lovely party!' sighed Robin at last, his arms tight about Mrs. Burroughs' neck, as he kissed her in a sticky but affectionate goodbye. "'Thank you so much, and Merry Christmas, dear.' "'God bless you, darling boy,' returned Mrs. Burroughs. "'Promise you won't lie awake thinking about it, and tomorrow will come all the sooner.' So, with season's greetings and many protestations of having passed a most delightful evening, the guests departed. Robin was hustled upstairs to bed by mother, while Ernie, Hayes, and I proceeded to collect the various Christmas gifts that had arrived, preparatory to filling his stocking. Really, there was so much. A delightful Swanstown comforter for his cot from Aunt Adelaide, a set of building blocks from Georgie, the jungle books from Mrs. Burroughs, and a regiment of tin soldiers with artillery and mounted officers that had come in the morning's mail from Miss Brown. Next, we brought out the home things, a gay little dressing gown that mother had made from her old cashmere shawl with cherry color collar and cuffs a pair of crocheted slippers to match this was my gift a little white flannel rabbit with pink beads for eyes and a fluff of a tail from ernie and a really amazing menagerie of some hundred and fifty animals elephants giraffes lions tigers leopards monkeys and all she had traced the pictures from old magazines transferred the outline to heavy paper cut the figures out and colored them they're wonderful, Ernie, I cried. But where's my present? asked Hayes, looking worried. It's coming, says Ernie, and running from the room, she returned a moment later with, What do you think? Nothing more or less than a clam. A live clam, if you please, neatly housed in the little glass globe that Hazard used to keep goldfish in some years ago. Holy smoke, muttered Hayes, not knowing whether to be most disappointed or amused. W what's it for? A pet, to be sure, answered Ernie nonchalantly. I bought it off Mary, the fisherman, and though he said he did not usually sell clams by the piece, when he did they cost just one cent. So we'll call it Abraham Lincoln in memory of your lucky penny. Popsy will love it. It can snap at a straw if you try to tickle it and hang on like a bulldog. You'll see. But how did you ever come to think of it, Ernie? I asked. Clam fritters, answered Ernie succinctly. We had him the other morning for breakfast, and then, too, we've been studying bivalves in school this term, and they are really very interesting animals. So the stocking was filled with an orange and apple, the molasses candy figures, chicken, pig, and boy, some sugar plums left over from the party, my slippers, and the white flannel rabbit, whose pink silesia ears poked alluringly out at the top. Mother and I stole on tiptoe into the nursery to play the part of Santa Claus, by light of a shaded candle. We dropped the down quilt softly over Robin's crib and stood for a moment watching our baby, who, quite worn out with the evening's excitement, slept feverishly, a bright flush upon his cheek, his little breast rising and falling in answer to his hurried breathing. I hope it has not been too much for him, said Mother in a low voice. 
I hope not, I answered. But we might have spared ourselves anxiety. Robin slept quietly through the night until half-past seven Christmas morning, when he woke as fresh and blithe as a lark. And how delighted he was with all his things. He positively shouted with joy over the paper menagerie and tin soldiers, and insisted upon being put into his new dressing gown on the spot, with many sarcastic side remarks about, Boys what said there was no Santa Claus. But the present that pleased him most of all was Abraham Lincoln. It is what I wanted more than anything in the world, he remarked with a fondly doting glance at his new pet. Only I didn't think of it in time to say so. Now, when Rosebud runs away and leaves me, I need never be lonely again. Though the rest of us did not fare as royally as Robin, there was some trifle for each one. Ernie had seen to that. I had just fifty cents to spend on the entire family, she explained. Don't you think I managed well? There were also a number of pretty gifts from Mrs. Burroughs, the score of Robin Hood from Mita for me, and a really portentous jackknife with three blades and a corkscrew attachment from Jeff for Ernie. How jolly, she cried, hopping about on her little pink toes. I need never borrow hazards again, and I can pull all Robin's cod liver oil corks. Hurroo! After breakfast came church. Hayes volunteered to stay with Bobsey so that Mother Ernie and I might go. But just as we were leaving the house, whom should we meet on the front stoop but Geoffrey, bearing his much-heralded present for Robin, a really handsome nickel-plated cage in which crouched a pair of tiny white mice. The darlings, chortled Ernie. I can't leave them. I can't. So she deserted Mother and me and followed Jeff to the nursery. And when we returned from service some two hours later, the three enthusiasts were still gloating. Look, Elizabeth, exulted Ernie. We've let him out of the cage, and they are quite tame. I'm going to call them Open, O-Buds, O-Open, and Sweet Fern, remarked Robin in sentimental accents. Nobody help me think of those names. Aren't they pretty? See, Aunt Peggy, says Jeff. There's a wheel to the cage so they can get plenty of exercise, and the man I bought them off told me we might expect a family about every three weeks. Dear me, murmured Mother in some dismay. I wish he hadn't been quite so lavish in his promises but I must go down to attend to dinner now. Be careful of Rosebud, Robin. She would like your mice only too well, I fear. The afternoon passed quietly, Ernie and Hayes carrying our usual Christmas package to the little Kearns, whose mother used to wash for us once on a time. She is an invalid now, and the family were even poorer than we, poor lambs. So, whatever we may have to go without ourselves, we can't afford to economize on Luella, Joseph, and Angeline, remarked Ernie some two or three weeks ago, and immediately she and Robin set to work, patching up their dilapidated toys and picture books, generously casting aside those that were too shabby, clipping, stitching, and gluing, till the kern shelf and the nursery cupboard presented a very attractive appearance indeed. Mother added oranges, a jar of beef extract, and half a pound of tea. I do hope they like their things as well as we like ours, sighed Robin responsibly, stuffing his molasses candy pig and the last of the sugar plums into Hayes's overcoat pocket. Do you think they will, Mother dear? I don't see why they should not, Mother answered, and then she took Robin in her lap in the big rocker and read him the Christmas story from St. Matthew, explaining about the wise men and the gifts they brought. After which she lowered the nursery shades and left him to take a nap because, she explained, I want our boy to be fresh and rested for this evening. What? I asked. More surprises? Just a little one, returned Mother modestly. Yet it turned out to be the most charming of all. You would never guess. 
a tiny toy Christmas tree, not more than a foot and a half high, lighted with twelve little candles and gay with popcorn wreaths, gilded walnuts, and silver tinsel. I found it on the Bowery, explained Mother half-guiltily, in a small German shop. It was very cheap, Elizabeth, so don't worry. How Robin's eyes shone as he was carried into the back parlor, where the little tree stood sparkling on a table drawn up beside the couch. There are presents on it, too, says Mother. And so there were, for from every branch and twig dangled a series of colored pasteboard discs lettered in white ink and reading thus, a pearl ring with much love to Elizabeth from Mother, a pair of skates for dear Ernie from Mother, Lockhart's Life of Scott, three volumes good tight, for Hazard from Mother, a canary in a gold cage, for Robin from Mother, an ermine muffin stall for Elizabeth from Mother, etc., etc., all the dear, beautiful dream gifts that mother would have given to her children if only she had been able. The candles on the little tree began to blink and twinkle like living stars, the way lights will when looked at through happy tears. Even Robin understood. I love my auto harp better than anything in the world, he declared, dangling the small pasteboard disc by its red cord. Even, even better than Abraham Lincoln, he cried. Thank you so much, mother dear. And that Lockhart's life, echoed Hayes, as enthusiastically as if he expected to sit down with the first volume next minute. Mmm. I hope I have not only succeeded in making you dissatisfied, my poor lambs, said Mother a little anxiously. Dissatisfied, cried Ernie, striking out in fine skating style for the piano. Do you think it's a brood of ungrateful brutes you've hatched into the world, Mum? Let's have some carols now. I want to shout. And so we did. Hazard was quite off the tune as usual, Robin piping away in his gay little treble, Ernie and I trying our best to keep the others up to time. It was all very jolly, and as I said when I first sat down to write, we simply could not have passed a lovelier Christmas, no matter how much money we might have spent. Now do you think we could? Thursday, January 1st. We sat up last night to watch the New Year in, Hayes, Jeff, Ernie, and I. The workshop was cold and we missed the flying machine. I do not believe, declared Ernie dejectedly, that resolutions do a bit of good. I have made the same four regularly for the last two years. I've written them out in red ink on a slip of paper and kept them in my Bible, and nobody seems to find me any nicer. Perhaps they were not the right kind, hazarded Jeff. A good deal depends on what one resolves, I suppose. The idea, flashed Ernie, I guess you did not make any better. Say my prayers, wash my teeth, love God and the borders. So there. Too general, criticized Hayes. You ought to do those things whether you resolve them or not, and it wouldn't be especially annoying even if you didn't. It is my opinion that no man is competent to make his own resolutions. He doesn't know where he most needs reform. If one's family made them for one now, and one was pledged in advance. All right, agreed Jeff. Let's try it. I resolve, old chap, that you hold up your head when you walk, and quit peering through your glasses like a Reuben at a county fair. And take only one butterball at dinner, seconded Ernie. And brush your coat every morning. If one isn't handsome, one can at least be neat, I cried. I'll see myself hanged, retorted Hazard angrily, before I resolve one of those things. They're childish, as well as insulting. If this meeting is going to degenerate into a travesty, I withdraw. And he stalked haughtily from the room. Silly chap chuckled Jeff. What did he get mad at? Hayes must be very conceited if he can't take a little friendly criticism, agreed Ernie. Shall we take Elizabeth next? 
No, I amended hastily. I have just thought of such a good one for you, Ernie dear. Don't wear stockings with Jacob's ladders running up the leg. It isn't ladylike, and you have plenty of time to darn them. And stop worrying about the shape of your nose, added Jeff. You can't change it, you know. I don't worry, snapped Ernie untruthfully. You are a pig, Jeffrey Graham, and I resolve that you learn to dance, so there. Shan't do it, said Jeff, with whom dancing is still a sore subject. And if you're going to call names, I think it is about time for me to go home. Good night, consented Ernie readily. Good night, returned Jeff, and he picked up his cap and left. Dear me, I remarked as the first horn sounded and the bells began to chime their welcome to the new year. What made everybody so cross tonight? I am the only person who did not get mad. You're the only person who did not have a resolution made for you, replied Ernie. Here is one, and you can just see how you like it. Stop being so everlastingly ready to preach, Elizabeth. I know you call it sympathy, but it bores people. Oh, Ernie, I gasped. Do you really mean that? Well, perhaps not entirely, admitted Ernie, with a swift return to normal lovableness. But there is some truth in it, dear. One likes to be blue at times and feel that it isn't noticed. Come along to bed. I'm sorry I let Jeff go without saying Happy New Year, and I'm sorry we forgot to eat the Italian chestnuts he brought. After all, the old way of making resolutions was best. Yes, I agreed, and pleasanter by far. Then we kissed one another and laughed, and crept down the attic stairs hand in hand, for it isn't often that Ernie and I come near a quarrel, and the new year was in. I wonder what it will bring us. Oh, I do want to be good. Resolutions apart. Not preachy, of course. Just stronger, and more contented, and happy in our lot. End of section 6. Recording by Colleen McMahon.